here as we close out this Lord's Day and worship. I'm so thankful to see you. And as uh, we uh, get started uh, this evening, do have some announcements we do want to uh, uh, cover once again. As you can tell uh, from this morning, we do have uh, the estate slash rummage slash yard sale uh, taking place uh, this week, Thursday through Saturday. So uh, please uh, remember those uh, uh, that that taking place. Uh, early bird, five dollars. You get in and get to shop and it says it's a spree. So have a spree with it. So, uh, so do that uh, this coming up week. Of course, all that goes to the cross of cross, cross of Christ in Monroe County. And um, so please remember that. Also, as we said, March 10th, uh, we'll be having a fellowship meal because we're going to be honoring Brother Hamp uh, just for his faithful service and celebrating his new role as a pastor emeritus. And next, this coming Lord's Day, he'll be preaching for us next Sunday morning. And uh, we are in town. I'm not taking off or going anywhere or anything. We're going to be here and worship and, and celebrate the Lord's Supper. So uh, we're just excited to have Brother Hamp uh, preach for us. Uh, also, that evening, the 25th, I should say, we have a Sunday school teacher's meeting. And um, right after evening service, so uh, if you are a Sunday school teacher, um, you need to be there. <laughs> uh, and if you would like to teach someday, thinking about helping with that, um, we invite you to come and listen as, as Pastor Mark leads that. Uh, that meeting. As uh, far as uh, announcements as well, uh, of course, most of you know uh, Witt uh, passed away Friday evening. And for those who don't know, I, I say we're in more of an intimate setting now, not on Facebook, but, but he had a heart attack. Um, he was 37, and he leaves behind uh, three small children, ages 4 to 12, of course, his wife, Jessica. So uh, uh, just pray for Terry, uh, Nancy, and, of course, uh, praying for uh, Jessica as well. They did go to the funeral home this afternoon, and I'd love to share with you the following. If You've probably seen it on Facebook by now, but um, if you do Facebook. But uh, here, the, it'll be at Tisdale Funeral Home across the street here, uh, about a block away. Visitation is going to be Tuesday night from 5 to 7, and then they're going to have just a service at 7 o'clock. There is no graveside, uh, so they'll be at 7 o'clock, and uh, uh, they've asked uh, myself to help uh, with that funeral, uh, with the service. So I appreciate your prayers as we seek to honor wit, but also to find comfort in the gospel of Jesus Christ. So I appreciate your prayers for that. But that will be all Tuesday uh, evening. And if I know of any more information, we'll be sure to share that with the congregation um, as a whole. But, of course, as we know, uh, please, please pray uh, for that dear family um, during this time. It's, it's an utter and total uh, shock. Uh, but uh, we trust in God's good providence. And uh, we just need to continue to pray for that family. So, of course, there are some announcements to please uh, be mindful of. Uh, of course, the sign-up sheet is downstairs by the water bottles. I've seen we've had about six, seven already sign up for that meal. If you'll go downstairs, just write your name on that. Uh, the church is taking care of the protein. It's chicken. I don't know why I keep saying protein. We're going to have chicken. I don't know if we've ever had anything besides chicken. You know, so um, I like protein. It may be this. No, it's going to be chicken. That's what it is. Um, and so um, as we uh, turn our faces uh, to the Lord this evening in our hearts, uh, let us do so through hearing the call to worship, uh, which comes from the Gospel of John chapter 16, excuse me, 17, where our, our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ is preparing his disciples for his departure. And he does so in reminding them that he's preparing a place for them. 
that he has called them to bear fruit while he is gone. And they'll know love. The world will know that they're disciples for their love for each other. And then we come to chapter 17, which historically we've called in our tradition the high priestly prayer of Christ. And, and I will read the entire chapter, so I invite you to follow along um, as we hear our Lord Jesus um, praying. That's just, that's wonderful, isn't it? Think about it. We always want to know how to pray better, and Jesus taught his disciples how to pray, right? You know, he doesn't come up with these convoluted things. He just says, hey, they say, hey, Jesus, we want to know how to pray. And Jesus says, we'll pray like this. So guess what? We should pray like that. And then think about all of a sudden we get to hear Jesus pray. Why this is so important is he still prays for us even right now, making intercession always for us. So let's hear the heart of our Lord as he expresses it to the Father in prayer. Jesus spoke these things and lifted up his eyes to heaven. He said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son, and the Son may glorify you. Even as you gave him authority over all flesh, that to whom all whom you have given, he may give eternal life. And this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. I glorified you on the earth, having accomplished the work which you have given me to do. Now, Father, glorify me together with yourself, with the glory which I had with you before the world was. I have manifested your name to the men you have given me out of the world. They were yours, and you gave them to me, and they have kept your word. Now they have come to know that everything you have given me is from you, for the words which you gave me, I have given to them. And they receive them and truly understand that I came forth from you, and they believe that you sent me. I ask on their behalf. I do not ask on behalf of the world, but of those whom you have given me, for they are yours. And all things that are mine and are yours, and yours are mine, and I have been glorified in them. I am no longer in the world, and yet they themselves are in the world and I come to you holy father keep them in your name the name which you have given me that they may be one even as we are one while I was with them I was keeping them in your name which you have given me and I guarded them and not one of them perished but the son of perdition so that the scriptures must be fulfilled but now I come to you and these things I speak in the world so that they may have my joy, that my joy may be full in themselves. Your word and the world has hated them because they are not of this world, even as I am not of this world. I do not ask you to take them out of the world, but to keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. As you have sent me into the world, I also have sent them into the world. For their sakes, I sanctify myself that they themselves also may be sanctified in truth. I do not ask on behalf of these alone, but for those who also will believe in me through their word. That they may all be one, even as you, Father, and I are in me, and I in you. And they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you sent me. The glory which you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one just as we are one. I in them and you in me, that they may be perfected in unity, 
so that the world may know that you sent me and loved me even as you have loved me. Father, I desire that they also whom you have given me be with me where I am so that they may see my glory which you have given me for you love me before the foundation of the world. O righteous Father, although the world has not known you, yet I have known you. And these have known that you sent me, and I have made your name known to them, and will make it known, so that the love with, with which you loved me may be in them, and I in them. This is the word and prayer of our Lord. Would you pray with me, please? Great God and gracious Father, who are in heaven, hallowed be thy name, that your kingdom would come and your will would be done on earth as it is in heaven. As we sit here this evening, we have our hearts and minds and faces turning towards you, seeking by faith to get a glimpse of your glory, of your majesty, of your power, and Lord, by virtue of the Holy Spirit, with you, increase our understanding. Increase our faith and strengthen it and preserve it and keep it. And that you would guard us and keep us from the evil one who seeks to devour us, O Lord. But you, our great defender, shield, protector, the rock of ages, a mighty and strong tower you are. We trust in you and in you alone. So, Father, we ask as we lift up this hymn of worship and song, we ask that you would be glorified and find joy in the praises of your people. And, Father, as your scriptures are open and they are rightly divided, we pray, O Holy Spirit, that you would teach us in all things that we need to know. We pray that you would lead Mark in his understanding of the text, that you would guard his heart and his mind in his mouth and that he will speak all that you desire nothing more and nothing less and that your good will would be done in our minds and our hearts for our good and for your glory these things we ask humbly yet boldly in the name of your son Jesus Christ amen Good evening. If you would open up your hymnals to 138 at Calvary. Years I spent in vanity and pride, caring not my Lord was crucified, knowing not it was for me he died on was great and grace was free, but in there was multiplied to me. There my burdened soul found liberty at Calvary. By God's word at last my sin I learned, then I trembled at the light spurned, till my guilty soul imploring turned to Calvary. See, there was great and grace was free, but in there was multiplied to me. 
continue to worship, take your copy of the Word of God and turn with me to the book of Philippians, Philippians chapter 2. Our text today will come from uh, Philippians chapter 2, verse 14. But I'll read beginning in the 12th verse to make sure we set our text today in its proper context. Philippians chapter 2 beginning in verse 12. We believe that the Apostle Paul, Paul the Apostle, is writing under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, writing the very words of God. The word of our Lord says in Philippians chapter 2, verse 12, Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you both to will and to do for his good pleasure. Do all things without complaining and disputing, that you may become blameless and harmless children of God, without fault in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation, among whom you shine as lights in the world, holding fast the word of life, so that I may rejoice in the day of Christ, that I have not run in vain or labored in vain. Yes, and if I'm being poured out as a drink offering on the sacrifice and service of your faith, I'm glad and rejoice with you all. For the same reason, you also be glad and rejoice with me. We will focus on verse 14 again, to do all things without complaining and disputing. Let's pray together. Lord God, we're thankful for the opportunity we have once again to gather around your word. We're so thankful that you have spoken to us. You've spoken to us in a way that is clear, that is authoritative, and that is sufficient for us. And so, Lord, may we rest in the sufficiency of your word, and may we, by your grace, and by the power of your spirit, not just be hearers of your word, but may we be doers of it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Now, some of you may be sitting out there thinking, Mark has lost his mind. <laughs> Four sermons from one verse, and uh, three from one word, really. Um, you know, and, and here at, uh, at First Baptist Church, we are committed to the systematic exposition of the Word of God. We believe that the Holy Spirit inspired these words and he inspired verse 
12, after, right before verse 13 and before verse 14, and we preach God's word that way. We preach it systematically, verse by verse, through books of the Bible. And that's systematic, but exposition is that the meaning of the text, the, the meaning that the Holy Spirit inspired the writer to write to the original office, uh, author, that meaning is then the meaning, the topic of the sermon. There can be systematic preaching that's verse by verse that's not expositional. And there can be expository preaching that's not systematic. James and I are committed to the systematic exposition of the Word of God. But as we have come to this particular passage, we, we, we also believe in the sufficiency of the Word of God. We believe that God's Word is sufficient. And here Paul gives a charge, he gives a command... To do all things without disputing. But he doesn't really develop that. He doesn't talk to us about uh, how we are to do that. And, uh, and we believe that the scripture interprets the scripture. And that we're, the Bible gives us a command. It doesn't just leave us to try to figure out how to do that. The Bible tells us through... And, and maybe it, it interprets scripture. And so in other places, and today we'll look at the, the book of James, where it talks about receiving godly correction. And we will also flip and look at... An example that the scripture gives us. So Paul doesn't just, you know, the Bible doesn't just command us to do all things without disputing. But as we have seen uh, in the last couple of weeks and as we will see tonight, the Bible talks to us about how we are to do that and gives us a great illustration of that in uh, Exodus chapter 18. And so tonight we will again talk about this command. Paul has told the church at Philippi. And, and, and by extension, he tells the church at First Baptist, Aberdeen, that we are to have the mind of Christ. We are to have the mind of Christ, and we are to work out our salvation with fear and trembling. And two of the manifestations of that in the body of Christ is that we will do everything that God calls the church to do without complaining and without disputing. And we've talked about how to avoid disputes. You know, we make sure that we uh, uh, understand the difference between that which is principle and that which is uh, practical or our preferences, and that we keep the main thing the main thing, that we focus and we are unified on the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. And we also talked about the fact that from time to time, uh, there will be conflict, there will be disagreements that break out from people from different backgrounds. We will have different preferences, different priorities, different passions, and there will be times that we... Uh, that we disagree, that we have debate. And there will be times that it is necessary to maybe confront one, uh, to speak truth in love. And last week we talked about how to do that. Tonight, we will look and talk about how to receive. How to receive that criticism. You know, it's one thing to, uh, uh, to, to give godly criticism, and it is another thing, maybe even a more challenging thing, to receive godly criticism. And so that will really be our focus tonight as we continue, continue to think about this command to do all things without disputing. And remember, there will be disagreements. There will be conflict. But we can resolve our conflict, resolve our disputes in a way that brings glory to God. And that's what Paul has said to the church at Philippi. Have the mind of Christ. Work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Do everything that God commands the church to do without complaining and without disputing. 
that you may become blameless and harmless children of God without fault in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation among whom you shine as lights in the world. And so tonight we'll focus on receiving godly critique, godly criticism, godly counsel from one another. You see, the Bible tells us that, uh, you know, when we come to Jesus Christ in repentance and faith, we are saved from the penalty of sin. Jesus died on the cross to take the punishment that we deserve. He became the propitiation for our sin. And his resurrection proves that. And when we come to Jesus in repentance and faith, we are justified, declared righteous by God's grace through our faith in Jesus. We are saved from the penalty of sin. That's justification. But the Bible also tells us then that we begin a process of being saved from the power of sin. That's sanctification as we gradually grow in our faith and we grow in our ability to resist temptation, to identify the sin that is within us, to bring it into the light, to do battle with it so we can put it away. And so we are being saved in our sanctification from the power of sin in our lives. And yet, as long as we are in these bodies, sin will remain. Sin remains. And we look forward to the day in glorification where we will once and for all be saved from the presence of sin and glorification. And this body of death will be put away and we'll get a new body suited for heaven, suited for eternity, free from the power and the presence and the corruption of sin. We look forward to that in our glorification. But in our sanctification, we are being saved from the power of sin and yet sin remains. And one thing about sin is that uh, sin is deceptive. Sin deceives. Sometimes, oftentimes, many times, we are blind to our sin. James talked about a text this morning where he talked about uh, the person who sins uh, unintentionally, uh, without knowing. Ignorance is no excuse. And so we, the sin remains and sin blinds us. And sin blinds the sinner to its presence. And it is true that a lot of times it is easier for me to see your sin than for me to see my own sin. Your sin bothers me. Your sin crawls all over me. Your sin gets, gets to me and yet I can be blind to mine. We talked about last week in uh, Matthew chapter 7 that uh, I can be 100% sure that I can see the speck in your eye while I totally don't see the two by four hanging out of mine. Sin blinds the sinner. And that's why we need the body of Christ. That's why we need the church. God brings us together. And he brings us together to be instruments of His grace in the lives of others. The Bible teaches us that every single member of the body of Christ is essential to the sanctification of every single other member. And so we sin blinds. Sin blinds us. Sin deceives us. And so God in His grace has given us the body of Christ because you can see my sin lots of times more clearly than I can. And I need you to help me see. 
And so the first thing that we think about when we think about disputing and somebody loves me enough to come and be an instrument of God's grace in my life to help me bring my sin into the light so that I can do battle with it and I can put it to death and put that old dead carcass away from me outside of the camp. How should I respond when someone comes to me to speak to me lovingly about my sin? The first thing is we should respond with a thankful Humility. Thankful that you love me enough to talk to me, to take the risk that I might be mad at you, that you love me enough to come and bring my sin to the light and confront me with my sin so that I can do battle with it and to put it to death and put it away. We should respond with grateful, thankful humility when someone loves us enough to come and speak to us about our sin, knowing that our sin blinds us. Our sin is deceptive. You know, someone who is physically blind usually knows that they're blind. Somebody who's physically blind is aware of it, and they're able to adapt and overcome and take advantage of all the resources and the technology to have a a full and meaningful life. Someone who's physically blind knows that and is able to adapt and overcome. But when someone is spiritually blind, oftentimes they do not know. They are blind to their spiritual blindness. Sin has deceived them. They have believed their own lies, their own rationalizations. They believe their, their explanations. And they maybe compare themselves to the wrong standard. I don't know if y'all remember back in the day, you know, did, did carnivals ever come to, uh, to Aberdeen? You know, they would come, the carnival would come, and one of the things, one of the trucks that they would have would be the Hall of Mirrors. You know, the Hall of Mirrors, and they would have all these mirrors of these different shapes and these different things, and uh, they would make you look Different. You would look in that mirror and you would see yourself in different ways. And uh, most of us would go and find the mirror that made us look the best. We, we would find the mirror that made us look tall and skinny, right? Instead of the one that made us look short and fat. <laughs> we would go to that mirror and we would choose that and we would look at that. And you know, the Bible kind of talks about uh, uh, the Word of God being a mirror. And so, by myself, I might believe my lies. By myself, I might believe my rationalizations. By myself, I might have the wrong standard and think I look a whole lot better than I really do. Instead of comparing myself to the perfect mirror of the Word of God or or the perfect man, Jesus Christ, I compare myself to others and I make myself look pretty good and I stand in front of that mirror that makes me look tall and skinny. And when somebody loves me enough to bring the perfect mirror of the Word of God Show me what I really look like. To overcome my lies and my deception, I should respond with thankful humility. So glad, so thankful that you love me enough to come to speak to me about my error, about my fault, about my sin, bring it into the light so that I can do battle with it and put it to death. I should respond with grateful humility. And we flip over the book of James, James chapter 1. And we'll see, Paul gives us the command, do all things without disputing. And then James, writing under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, gives us a a how-to. He gives us some more principles. Be be thankful, be humble, listen and believe. And then James gives us some further principles about being confronted. Uh, James chapter 1, verse 19. 
First, I should respond with thankful humility. Second, I should be swift to hear and slow to speak. James chapter 1, verse 19. So then, my beloved brethren, let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak, slow to wrath. For the wrath of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Therefore, lay aside all filthiness and overflow of wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word, which is able to save your souls. But be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving your own selves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he's like a man, observing his natural face in a mirror. For he observes himself and he goes away immediately and forgets what kind of man he is, he was. But he who looks into the perfect law of liberty and continues in it and is not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work, this one will be blessed in what he does. And so when I'm sitting there looking at that mirror that makes me look perfect, somebody loves me enough to come and show me the perfect mirror of the word of God, I should respond with thankful humility and I should be swift to hear and slow to speak. And that goes against who we are. You know, somebody comes and they begin to confront us. They begin to bring critique. And what, what immediately we want to do? We want to defend ourselves. We, we want to explain that it's not as bad as you think or, or we begin to rationalize or we compare ourselves to others. We want to speak. We want to defend. We want to deflect. We want to blame. It's that woman that you put here with me. It's that, you know, we, we just, like the, the, just like Adam. We want to deflect. We want to blame. We want to make ourselves look better. But James says, be swift to hear. Slow to speak. In thankful humility, listen for that nugget of truth. Be thankful that that person is bringing the perfect mirror of the Word of God to your situation to, to, to help you not believe your lies or your own rationalizations or your own excuses or your own blame. But bringing that pure Word, listen. In thankful humility, be Quick to listen, swift to hear, slow to speak. Don't immediately feel the need to defend yourself, to rationalize, to explain it away or assign blame. Listen. So I should respond with thankful humility. I should be quick to hear, slow to speak. And then third, James tells me, be slow to wrath. When somebody exposes my faults, my natural tendency is to be angry. When you expose my lies, when you confront me, when you tell me I'm not as good as I think I am, my natural response is to defend myself and then become angry. To become bitter, to become hostile, to dispute. And James says, be swift to hear, slow to speak, slow to wrath. And he goes on to say, the wrath of man does not produce the righteousness of God. So if I get angry when I'm confronted in my sin, instead of looking at my sin or getting angry at the ones who confronted me, instead of angry at my sin, then I cut myself off. Because 
The wrath of man does not produce the righteousness of God. God's righteousness comes by His grace through our faith in Jesus Christ when we first and foremost admit that we are helpless and hopeless, that we are utterly and completely sinful, that we're more sinful than we can even imagine, that sin happens and, and, and we, are, we, we, we are totally corrupted to the very core of our being by our sinfulness, and we are helpless and hopeless utterly incapable of doing anything to save ourselves. It's only when we admit that helplessness and that hopelessness and we come to Jesus and we cry out, have mercy on me, a sinner. It's only then that God grants righteousness when we come in repentance and faith as He credits the righteousness of Christ to our account. And so being angry doesn't produce that righteousness. Grateful humility. Admitting my helplessness and my hopelessness and my sinfulness and confessing that sin and crying out for God's mercy, that's what produces the righteousness of God. And so be thankful when someone comes with the perfect word, the perfect mirror of God's word to show us our need. And with meekness, receive the implanted word which is able to save your souls. Don't stand there looking at the carnival mirror. But use the perfect standard of God's word. And be thankful when someone loves you enough to confront you. And to bring your sin in the light so that you can do battle and put it to death. So Paul... Paul tells us in the church to do all things without disputing. Resolve our disagreements to the glory of God. And so when somebody loves me enough and, and, and is willing to be an instrument of God's grace in my life, be an instrument of God's grace in my sanctification, coming alongside, helping me see myself as I really am, exposing my sin, I should respond with grateful humility and I should respond quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to anger. And receive with meekness that implanted word. Turn from my sin. And trust in the cleansing that Jesus provided for me on the cross. And trust in his resurrection that proves that that sacrifice has been accepted. So Paul gives us the command. James gives us some, high, some how-to. And then in the great sufficiency of the scripture, we also have a great example. Flip over with, with me, if you would, to Exodus chapter 18. Exodus chapter 18, Moses, God has used Moses to lead the children of Israel out of the land of Egypt, out of their slavery and out of their bondage. They've come out and, uh, and you know, you think about these, these folks have been enslaved for 400 years. They don't know what it's like to have freedom. They don't know what it's like. To be able to make decisions. They have been slaves and they have been uh, totally subject to the will of their master. They didn't have to make decisions. They didn't have to figure things out. They just had to do what they were told. They made bricks and they made bricks without straw. They just did what they were told. They didn't have freedom. They didn't know how to uh, really live together as free people. And now that as as they had come out from their slavery, they were free... They needed to figure out how they could live together without disputing. And so what would they do? They would come and they would line up outside of Moses' tent. 
They would bring all their disputes, all their disagreements. They would line up and they would sit there and they would go and ask, well, you know, we don't know how to make decisions. We don't know how to get along. We don't know how to do these things. We've been slaves. We've never had to worry about it. This is all new for us. You tell us how to live together as free people. I, I once had a political science professor that said, uh, your right to swing your fist ends at the tip of my nose. And so when free people live together, we exercise our freedoms. But my freedom stops, stops when I begin to infringe upon yours. And so these people would line up to ask Moses about all their disputes, all their disagreements. In exercising my freedom, am I violating the freedom of somebody else? Or is my brother, is he violating my freedom? So they would line up outside of Moses' tent. And after they uh, were let out, uh, Jethro... Moses' father-in-law came to visit the people, and in Exodus 18, verse 13, we read these words. And so it was on the next day that Moses sat to judge the people. And the people stood before Moses from morning till evening. So when Moses' father-in-law saw all that he did for the people, he said, What is this thing that you're doing for the people? Why do you sit alone and all the people stand before you from morning till evening. And so notice, this kind of gets into last week, but notice Jethro. He asks a clarifying question. He doesn't come and say, Moses, you knucklehead. <laughs> what are you doing? <laughs> you know, he doesn't say, you are a terrible leader. No, he just says, Why? Why are you doing what you're doing? He asks a clarifying question. And so, uh, you know, he, he, doesn't, he doesn't call him a name. He doesn't rebuke. He doesn't bring that. He, he asks a clarifying question. And, 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 and that's, a, that's a great technique when confronting. Instead of, instead of calling names or, or discrediting or, 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 or attacking the character, just ask, why, why is it that we're, we're doing this? He asks a clarifying question. And Moses uh, said, verse 15, Moses said to his father-in-law, because the people come to me to inquire of God. When they have a difficulty, a dispute, they come to me, and I judge between one and another, and I make known the statutes of God and his laws. So Moses answers the question, you know, we're settling disputes. And Jethro says, Moses' father-in-law said, the thing that you do is not good. Again, he doesn't say, Moses, you're not good. You're not smart. You're a terrible leader. Your motivation's good, but the thing that you're doing is not good. And so he, he, spring, he speaks graciously frank. He asks a question, he gets the answer, and then he is graciously frank, direct, the thing that you're doing is not good. But then he also seeks, instead of tearing down, to build up. He doesn't just bring the problem. He brings a solution. He brings an answer. And so he asks a, qu a clarifying question. He listens. He is graciously frank. And then, instead of tearing down, he builds up. And he brings a reasonable solution. The thing you're doing is not good, verse 18. Both you and these people who are with you will surely wear yourselves out. For this thing is too much for you. You are not able to perform it by yourself. 
Listen now to my voice. I will give you counsel. And God will be with you. Stand before God for the people so that you may bring the difficulties to God. And you shall teach them the statutes and the laws and show them the way in which they must walk and the work they must do. Moreover, you shall select from all the people able men, such as fear God, men of truth, hating covetousness, and place such over them to be rulers of thousands, rulers of hundreds, rulers of fifties, rulers of ten. And let them judge the people at all times. Then it will be that every great matter they shall bring to you, but every small matter they shall themselves they themselves shall judge. So it will be easier for you, for they will bear the burden with you. If you do this thing and God so commands you, then you will be able to endure, and all the people will also go to their place in peace. So he gives a constructive. So he doesn't come to tear him down, but he comes to build him up and brings a solution that is good not only for Moses, but for all the people, for all the people of God. So you see the wisdom? Ask a clarifying question. He is graciously frank. He builds up and provides a solution. Then how does Moses receive this? Now Moses is 80 years old. Maybe 82 at this point, maybe, something like that. 80 years old. And his father-in-law is a good bit older, I'm sure. <laughs> um, you know, and so Moses, he doesn't say, oh man, you know, you just, you're old, you don't know the new ways, and this is just what we need to do, you know. No, he, he listens. And, and Moses, you know, God speaks to Moses face to face. God spoke to Moses through a burning bush and told him he was going to send him to Pharaoh. And then uh, God would speak to Moses and tell him what to go and tell Pharaoh. God, God spoke to Moses in a way that he uh, hasn't spoken to anybody else ever. Spoke to him directly. And, and more so, that's going to come more so in uh, the rest of the book of Exodus. But Moses also knew. That God could speak to him through a brother. That God could speak to him through a one another. And that's why we have the church. To one another, each other. And we need to understand that sometimes God speaks through a brother or a sister. That loves me enough to come to me. And hold the perfect mirror of God's word so I do not believe my lies. I do not fall into my deception. But God speaks. Bringing our sin to the light and speaking words of counsel and encouragement that are good, not just for me, but for all the people. So what? So Moses didn't say... Go away, old man. I don't need you. God speaks to me. No, verse 24. Moses heeded the voice of his father-in-law and did all that he had said. And Moses chose able men out of all of Israel, made them heads over the people, rulers of thousands, rulers of hundreds, rulers of fifties, rulers of tens. So they judged the people at all times. The hard cases they brought to Moses, 
but they judged every small case themselves. Then Moses let his father-in-law depart, and he went to his own land. And so Moses graciously received the counsel of his father-in-law. And so when Paul calls the church at Philippi and the church at First Baptist Aberdeen to do all things without disputing, He's calling us to several things. And it's so important. That's why we spent three weeks. I mean, all of you know, churches that have been destroyed because of unresolved disputes. Not handling conflict in a God-glorifying way. How many times have you heard somebody, you've asked somebody, why don't you go to church? And they say, well, I can't go to church because all they do is fuss and fight. All they do is argue and dispute. All they do is fuss. Paul calls us to do all things without disputing. Yes, there will be disagreements. But we can resolve those disagreements in a way that glorifies God. As we love each other. Enough to be an instrument of God's grace in the lives of others by lovingly, graciously coming and holding the perfect mirror of God's word to help another see something to which he's blind. Bring his sin into the light so that he can fight it and put it to death and put that dead carcass out of the camp. And when my brother loves me enough to come to me, I need to respond with thankful humility. Quick to hear, slow to speak. Not getting angry. Looking for the truth. And recognizing that that brother, that sister, is a tool that God is using in my sanctification. And that's why we need the church. That's why we need the body of Christ. Because the spiritually blind person is sometimes blind to his blindness. And he needs someone who loves him to come and speak truth and love. Receive it graciously. And follow counsel that is good, not just for me, but for the whole body, the whole body of Christ, all the people of God. Do all things without complaining and disputing. That you may be blameless and harmless, children of God without fault, in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation, among whom you shine as lights in the world. Lord God, we are so thankful for your word. And God, I pray, I pray that we would not just be hearers of the word, but that we would be doers. And God, that we would look 
into the mirror of your word, the implanted word. And that we may receive it with meekness. Grateful humility. And Lord, we pray that in the power of the Holy Spirit, you would help us to put off sin. To do battle with it. To put it to death. And God, I pray that you would help each of us be instruments, tools of your grace in the lives of one another. And Lord, we pray that you would use each of us in the sanctification of each of us until we are once and for all set free from this body of death. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy, to God our Savior who alone is wise, be glory and majesty, dominion and power both now and forever. Amen.